All right. What is the greatest ever event in the history of all of mankind, in the history of the world? What is it? The resurrection. There is nothing that tops the resurrection. It is it. The greatest of all holidays for Christians. The greatest. There's nothing better. When we come together, celebrate the risen Lord, for it is eternal. There's a lot of things you can go to. You can go to family gatherings that are great, or you can go to great events, or fireworks displays that are just mind-blowing, and you go, wow, wow, ooh, and all. And that is nothing compared to what happened in history 2,000 years ago and also guarantee what's going to happen to us. And so I think it is the very cornerstone of the Gospel promise. We should be amazed. Are you amazed today? Are you amazed that you even got up (laughs) and got your clothes on and uh, got yourself going and got here? Uh, That is amazing. But uh, the amazing thing is that um, I think it was said by Mark Dever, no one ever meets the Lord, ever takes worship in a casual way. If you know about the risen Lord, then you will not have a casual worship. You will have a worship that is real. This is the happening. This is the place. The tomb. The risen Lord. He's not there. This is it. This is so great. You know, the church doesn't meet on Friday. I mean, it can. You know, they have good Friday services. But as as a rule, churches don't meet on Friday. We're thankful for the cross and what happened there at the cross on Friday. But we celebrate the resurrection as making the cross meaningful. Because without the resurrection, the cross is absolutely useless. If we just left it there, if we stopped last week, and that's where the Bible stopped, we would be in a pitiful situation. We would be useless. But this is significant. And we get to think of celebrations. I think the 4th of July celebrations. I think of majestic things that they have. And uptown here uh, yesterday, I didn't get to see it, but I saw it on the news. It looked like a kind of a cool thing. They had all sorts of colors going on and everything. People had all sorts of different rainbow colors and they were all having a blast and having fun. I mean, it's great to have fun and celebrate and everything. But you know what? Add up all those together and they can even start to even compare with this excitement of somebody coming back to life. I mean, what uh, an event. Oh, it's the center of our praise and worship. Without the resurrection, the cross, the death of Christ would be meaningless. Without the resurrection, the cross would be powerless. If Christ is not raised, says the New Testament, then your faith is absolutely worthless. You're wasting your time. You're still in your sins if Christ is not raised. But we know He is. It's very interesting to note. We don't have the information of the resurrection itself of how it happened. We, you know, you say, wait a minute, I've I, I seen it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, other places, you know, the, the resurrection. Yeah, but we don't have any description or the detail of how He did this. It doesn't go into any detail on that. It tells the effects of it. What happened uh, as they witnessed that there was an empty tomb, but we don't have that. 
uh, be cool if we did, but evidently it's not supposed to be there. That's okay. That's quite the, the mystery. Of this most important event ever, we don't have that recorded in the Gospels. But we do have what's leading up to the resurrection. And we have spent all of the time of Mark leading up to this part. And we have the what happens in response to the resurrection, don't we? And we have all of that recorded. But we don't know anything about the actual resurrection itself. It is supernatural. What a holy ground that is. There's no attempt by the writers to do that. So we're going to look at the shortest account of all four Gospels this morning in the book of Mark because that's where we have been at. And this is where everything has been timed out as we would land right here on Resurrection Sunday and be in Mark chapter 16. And we're going to give the three lines of evidence that Mark draws here for us for the resurrection of Christ. So let's turn in our Bible to Mark chapter 16. It's the final chapter in Mark. And immediately as you turn there, you realize it's been pretty immediate in our study of Mark, hasn't it? been very quick going through this gospel. First eight verses is where we're at. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid Him. But go, tell His disciples and Peter... He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see Him, just as He told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Father, we thank You. What a precious treasure we have. Oh, the excitement of this particular day of the resurrection that we celebrate. Thank You for giving us something to celebrate. And we should be joyous. We should be rejoicing, realizing what happened there. Thank You for the Word, the truth, the Holy Spirit. And may this ever old, old story that's been repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated and we've heard it over and over again, that we would glean some more precious truth because Your Word becomes more and more real to us as the years go by. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We go to the first part, and it's the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Empty tomb, I think, is a very convincing argument. Very convincing. There is uh, here before us something that just says that he's not here. There really, there are no scriptures to indicate that Jesus was ever found in the tomb. Right? Nothing in scripture. Matter of fact, in other kind of writings, historical writings, secular writings, you won't find anything that he is in the tomb. 
that I know of anyway. They, um, no one was able to find Jesus in the tomb that Sunday morning. This is fact. This is real. There's no testimony to that effect. Uh, and that's the idea of this, uh, the, the empty tomb. All testimony is to the fact that it's empty. Even the Romans, even the Jews, the disciples, the women, all the people that we're going to look at here today, they see no one there. You would expect for that to happen. They did. So remember, our Lord has already said that He would die. And He has said that three times in the book of Mark. It's been mentioned. Uh, I think if you were to go to chapter 8, you will see that. Uh, I must die. You know, He's going to suffer and then die. Be buried. And then He's going to rise again. The disciples heard that. They heard it once. They heard it twice. They heard it three times. They've heard this. It just didn't click. They had other things on their mind. I don't know how can they miss this, but they did. He's going to rise again. All the way back to His early ministry in John 2. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rise again. I'll build it again. I'll raise it up. Now He said that early. He's actually been saying this for three and a half years. He said in Matthew chapter 12, uh, comparing the, the Jonah incident, who was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the earth for three days. For three days. Not four days, five days. Five years, ten years, fifty years, a hundred billion years. It means three days. That means He's going to be out. So it says here, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James Salome bought spices. First day of the week is what it is. The Sabbath is over. It's the very next day. We know from the other Gospels it's, it's that day that we know as Sunday, but it's what they would know as the first day of the week. Everything focuses around the Sabbath. They didn't have names for that particular day. They would say the first day of the week. Uh, here when the Sabbath was over is how Mark relates to it as he writes to a lot of Roman uh, readers here. That's uh, the Jewish day. It goes from sunset to sunset. You know, So that is a day from sunset to sunset. Um, we're 12 hours already into that day because it is now early of the morning when the sun rises. Uh, it's set what we would know as the night before. Uh, but that was their starting other day. You go into the book of Acts and you will see that no longer are they the church actually meets on the Sabbath, even though they did continue around the temple, but really there was uh, they met every day, but there was one day that was special. If you look in Acts, you'll see that they are meeting on the first day of the week, Sunday. We see in 1 Corinthians 16 that they are to get their collections together on the first day of the week, Sunday. Uh, we'll see that in Galatians or we'll look in Romans, I think, uh, is what it is. Revelation, John says he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. First day of the week, the Lord's Day. That's what they're calling it there. And we still call it the Lord's Day, don't we? It's a special day. And... So we've witnessed it now for over 2,000 years. That's why we meet on Sundays, because of the resurrection. 
We celebrate it every week. We may not go into the same message every week, but definitely focuses off that. Then you have Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome. We have not only these two women, but we have other women. In the Gospels, sometimes they will focus on one person or two people, and there might be others. It's not that it's a wrong account. You put the Gospels together as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark and we see them being applied together. There are no mistakes in the Bible. All you have to do is look, look at those other places and we find out that that's what we have in mind here. So the women there play a key role. In verse 40 of chapter 15, uh, this is where we were at last um, last week or the week before, um, the crucifixion, that's where it is, yeah, last week. There were also some women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less and Joseph and Salome. Um, so, among whom were... So some were standing kind of like afar off from the cross and such. Uh, you have women there, good, great women of faith. There's something to say about women and uh, the the faith, Christianity. They were at the cross, and now we have them at the tomb. And where were the disciples? <laughs> when uh, we know that uh, when he had been ministering in Galilee, he had a lot of people following him. We know there were the twelve apostles. We know there were many other disciples. Uh, definitely, you know, we think of the 120 out of the book of Acts who had followed him off and on probably all the way through his ministry. And there were many women who had come up with him to Jerusalem and they had been around and they had been ministering uh, with this, quite the group that Jesus had following around him. They ministered and they they cared for um, the people, provided uh, the needs, whatever it was. So they follow Him all the way to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so they've been there that whole week, the triumphal entry, when that happened. And then as He um, taught in the uh, in the temple, you can imagine they were around. And, and here they are looking uh, at the cross. And then uh, we see that um, in Luke, He includes a woman named Johanna. And Matthew includes the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John. So quite a group of women that are present at this time, uh, at the burial. And they knew that Jesus was not thrown in a trash heap, and I'm sure they were not going to let that happen. But thankfully, there was a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea who took the body and did honor to that and um, got permission to put it, uh, put the body in this rich man's tomb, which most people didn't have that kind of luxury. So Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother Joseph, they're looking on to see where he is laid. Um, all of these women, they believed in him. They trusted him. They, um, they loved him. They served him. These are great women of faith. They have a love for him that is precious. And they want to honor him. They want to bring the spices to him. Even though they knew that there had been something equivalent to a hundred pounds of spices that was brought by Nicodemus uh, Joseph of Arimathea was the one who had brought that, right? And uh, they know about that. Well, how many more pounds of spices do you need? Why do they have to bring that upon them? Well, because they've been ministering Him. They want to bring some kind of honor, if at all possible. They want to be a part of this. 
they expect Him to be at the tomb. That's what they're looking for. They didn't abandon Him. And so, um, they know that there would be a horrible stench of that body being taken care of here. At least they think, but they want to be a part of this. They want to honor Jesus from their hearts. And so they have a tribute to Him. As they bring their own spices, they, they bought those spices. So it's very early on the first day of the week. Very early in the morning. It's so early that I have never seen that time of the morning. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't usually get up, but I hear there are people that get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I bless you. I don't know how you do it. Um, I was not gifted with that. And I don't really want to be gifted with that. I have woken up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, whenever it's dark, but yet the light is coming on, that's whenever they started out. It really wasn't light yet. And, you know, uh, dawn is coming on, but still yet it's dark. I, I've heard that it's, it could be pretty dark at that time, and that's what they're kind of traveling. It's a moving event, though. It's dark and light at the same time. The reason I stress that, because in the Gospels you'll see that uh, it'll talk about the, the, the day with the, the sun. And then it'll talk about it being uh, dark very early in the morning. And that's what um, Mark uh, is saying here. It's very early. Uh, By the time that they get there, maybe the sun is in Jerusalem not very bright or you can barely even see it. The sun most likely had risen over the eastern flat desert. Uh, You have the uh, Mount of Olives to the east, right? And so the sun would be there. But as you go into the city, all of a sudden it's like uh, they don't see that yet. It's blocked by the Mount of Olives. Something like that can be possible just within that uh, that little time period. Spring morning, there they are. It's like uh, to us, it's probably comparable to a Monday. <laughs> you know, everybody knows what a Monday is. You know, I always think of a Sunday morning, and it's a special day to me, and I have sunshine. I couldn't help but just open the door just for a few minutes. I didn't really intend to have it open today. And the more I thought about it, I go, hey, this is cool. If we can let some of our singing go out the door, maybe somebody might hear it and have their spirits lifted up. Maybe think about the resurrection, right? And I think of a, I think of sun shining, you know, on that particular day. And uh, so, and it evidently was special. There's something that happened before they arrived that they didn't know about. There were some things that happened before they arrived they didn't know about. So, they're there. There are things they didn't expect. For one thing, Pilate had given permission for the Jews to seal the tomb. They didn't know about that. Why was that? Well, the Jews said that they wanted it sealed. And when you put a Roman seal on there, that means nobody messes with that. This is sealed. It's a done deal. And if you break that, you're dead. You're a dead man. You don't touch that. That's what it meant. You know, we've seen those yellow things that the police use, you know, around death scenes, crime scenes and such. And... You don't get into that area, right? You don't go over there and start messing around with it. This is pretty cool. I think I'll take this home and kind of wrap it around the tree. (laughs) Don't don't do that. that. You might be thrown in jail. 
Don't know about that. But anyway, uh, we remember, sir, that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I'm going to rise again. We remember. He said that. So there's going to be some shenanigans going on here. So you need to watch it. By the way, that word for seal, I'm just going to throw this in. You know, in Ephesians it says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means nobody, not even Satan, can mess with that seal. It's a done deal. The work is finished. Nobody, even Satan, sin, death, hell, can break that seal. The Holy Spirit has a promise, as a guarantee. Anyway, just, just saying. So His disciples, they're saying, may come, take the body. You've got to guard it. And they'll go around saying, see, He's risen. They'll take it off and hide it. Right? So that's the idea. So Pilate said to them, hey, you have a guard. Go make it secure as, as you know how. Oh, anyway. It's secured... You have the Roman guard. They set a seal on the stone. Barrier. There's a barrier there. They are going to the tomb. And we know about the, the, the huge stone in front of that. They're, they're women of faith, though. And here you have this seal on this now. But the women don't know this. I don't know about that seal. All the women know is that there's a stone there. They do know about the stone. That that stone that weighs a ton, literally, no woman is going to get up there and just get rid of that, that stone. You've got guards around, or, or there have been. They didn't know about that. And uh, here it is. The story is going to go around that the disciples are going to fabricate some kind of a story about Him raising from the dead. So they didn't know about the Roman guard. They didn't know about the seal. They didn't know about the earthquake. They didn't know about the stone being rolled away. As they approach it, there's still women of faith as far as they're concerned. It's there. And they didn't know about the Romans fleeing. The Romans had fled. They think, hey, who's going to help us roll it away? Well, we believe in God and we're supposed to be there. He's going to take care of it. Now, how many times have you said that? There's a barrier there, but if this is what I'm supposed to do, then I'll just trust and let Him do the work. Right? He'll make this happen. They look up. Saw the stone had been rolled away is extremely large. The stone has been rolled away. Now now they're thinking, you know, they didn't know that there had been a Roman guard. They didn't know that there had been a seal. They didn't know there had been an earthquake. By the way, when something extraordinary happens in the Bible, often you will have an earthquake. Even at the death of Christ, you had an earthquake. All sorts of things are going on there. When something is real significant, God just might bring an earthquake. Quite fascinating. And uh, so, the Romans have fled. All they saw was an open tomb. <laughs> You're not expecting that. The tomb is open. Kind of wonderful to know all these details, isn't it? Isn't that incredible? You know, they, now they're they're learning real quick. Uh, by the way, the tomb was not open so that Jesus could get out. 
he, he doesn't. He, I mean, he can go through walls. He can go through. I mean, my goodness, he's God. Look, if he can raise from the dead, no rock is going to keep you in there, right? It, the angel rolled that away, so the women could look in, get in. That Peter could go in. That John could go in. That, by the way, the whole world could look in and see it's empty. Physically, if you go there to Jerusalem today, if you go to the traditional site, you walk into that tomb and guess what? It's empty. Think of all the religious leaders in the world. They're all dead. All of them. It's only one that comes alive. That's why we can say Jesus is the way. There is no other way. He is the way. So, the Lord removed the barriers. He did that. They were ju- they just took this by faith. They they wanted to do an honorable thing, and when they get there, there are no barriers. Matter of fact, you can walk right on in. Well, that's going to present a problem to their minds. Lord makes a way. You know that song. God will make a way. How many times have you said that? God. God through all your life, really, has made a way. It's just at the moment when you're facing the barriers, when you wonder, I wonder when His making the way will finally stop. (laughs) It doesn't. Where there is no way, God goes ahead of us. God was ahead of them. (laughs) He was a way ahead of them. And uh, there we go. There wasn't any guard around. They were in panic. There had been an earthquake. There had been a transcendent heavenly being and the soldiers fled. <laughs> they ran. They got out of there. I think that's amazing in itself, isn't it? They ran in terror. They're all gone. None of them are left. There had to be some kind of an earthquake. Some kind of an angel. By the way, two angels we'll see in a moment. Um, Mary Magdalene actually... Out of those women, she's going to be the first one. She is going to kind of break away from the other women because she can't wait. They're kind of lagging behind. She's she's hot footing it, you know. All right, I'm going. Just like whenever Peter and John get there, guess guess who wins the race? I think John did, but then Peter went on in, you know. So she's arriving on the dark side of the dawn. Stone is removed. She's going to have to go tell Peter and John, the apostles. She just stops dead in her tracks at that moment. And then the companions arrive. I think she just spins on her sandals. And she flew back to the apostles. She's got to go tell Peter. She had to go tell the apostles. And so she bolts Heads right for them. She draws this hasty conclusion according to the Gospel of John. And you know what her conclusion is? Somebody stole her. I mean, what else would it be? Dead men don't walk. Or do they? Uh, You know what? We are walking dead men. We were dead. We now walk. We are alive. Somebody must have sold Jesus' body. Wouldn't you go tell the apostles really quick? 
Well, the resurrection does not enter her mind. Why not? Why wouldn't it be? Remember Lazarus? She just doesn't believe that. And so she leaves at this darkest of the dawn, and it's like she doesn't really see anybody else. By the time she gets there, she gets to the apostles, and you know the light has appeared, and then you have the other women. She's left in a hurry. She has this one thing in mind. She's got to report what has just happened. You bet. What a story. This is actual eyewitness events, folks. This is truth. This is, this is right out of Scripture. And of course, uh, in uh, verse 3, says, uh, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So, you know, just before they got there, and there you have Mary Magdalene doing her thing. Uh, did the disciples come and take Him to fake a resurrection? I imagine that's what they're thinking. Did they actually do that? Well, you have to stop for a moment and think about that. Just to let you know that the tomb was empty. The Jewish leaders, we know, didn't steal a body. That would be the worst kind of thing they could do for themselves because that would be going against exactly what they have in mind because that would show that there was a resurrection, right? If we can get him out of there. We know the women didn't steal the body. How are they going to get that stone out of there anyway? And how are they going to get rid of the Roman guards? Did the Roman guards steal the body? Well, why would they do that? What do they have to advance out of this? That'd be absolutely ridiculous. No, they ran, and and, and if they do get rid of that body, it means their lives are at stake because they they are guards and they cannot do that, right? So yeah, the Roman guards, you have the women, you have the Jewish leaders, you have all of these people are giving a testimony that the tomb is empty. Oh, it's the grave robbers that did it. Some say the grave robbers. Really? The grave robbers. The Roman guard was there to prevent the disciples from robbing or any other grave robbers for that matter. The body was there on Friday. The tomb was sealed with a large stone. The Roman guard with all its authority and might was placed at that tomb. No one who followed Christ even believed that He would raise from the dead. Do you know of anybody? They should have known, but they didn't. They have no motive to fake a resurrection. Can you imagine the apostles wanting to fake that? they would have been thrown into prison immediately. They would have been crucified as far as they're concerned. There's nobody out there that's going to steal the body. There's nobody. Nobody. It's not going to work. So, this is why we get that story that the Jews, the Sanhedrin made up in Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. They reported to the chief priest, that's the guard, they're now reporting what had happened. Well, what did they tell them? Well, they told them there was an earthquake. Okay? That's true. They told them that there was this shining angel. That's one of the reasons why they flew out of there. They are seeing a shining, brilliant angel sitting on the stone after it literally rolled away and these angels are in blazing white they're not sticking around for this, no matter what kind of sword they have. They told them what they experienced. 
Can you imagine these brave soldiers? The bravest of the empire and they're all fleeing out of there? Well, they didn't tell them that anybody stole the body because nobody stole the body. The elders, scribes, Pharisees, the chief priests, the Sanhedrin get together and with their brilliant minds, they come up with the story of the ages. <laughs> yeah. we got a problem. we got a pro- we got to come up with this. So, the soldiers are going to have to be bribed. They're going to have to give the soldiers some money because... There's got to be a lie here. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. We were asleep. Roman soldiers, guards asleep. And they, the, the Sanhedrin says, hey, don't worry about it. We have a way with, with Pilate and the Romans. <laughs> They've already proven that, haven't they? We'll get you through this. No problem. They're not going to take your life. We'll make sure. It's cool. Here. Take this. Just say that you were sleeping. Disciples took the body. We'll keep you out of trouble. Well, the day when Matthew wrote that, that was still the story. When it was still out, the disciples had come, stolen the body, because that's the lie the Romans were paid to give. That's what they were to give. So what do we conclude? The women testify to an empty tomb. The soldiers testify to an empty tomb. Peter and John, plus the women, testify to an empty tomb. And the Sanhedrin actually testifies to an empty tomb because they have to make up a story. So even the Sanhedrin is really saying that. The only explanation is there's a lie. It's concocted by the Jews, and to this day, that's still what they say, right? No one says Jesus is still there. Everybody says He's gone. The best that they could come up with, yeah, the body's gone, but He was stolen. There's an empty tomb, right? Yeah. Point number two. Verse 5, Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. By the way, there are two angels here. This is one that is speaking, the one that Mark wants to bring out. There are two. You can look in other Gospels. Luke says that. said they suddenly stood there with dazzling garments, dazzling clothes, brilliant, bright white, Whiter than what the launderer's soap can do. That bleach can do. I mean gleaming, shining, like light coming out of there. Enough to get the guards out of there. John says there were two. And they, they're just startled by these, these angels. One of them, we see that he's sitting there. He's just sitting on the very, at the very place where you know he moved that stone. This is the one who spoke. So a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. They were amazed. He has risen. This is the part. The angels giving the great news here in in the verbal way. 
two angels, two witnesses. In Deuteronomy, we know that the law talks about two witnesses. Well, the angels are giving the witness, the testimony here to the women. And one of them is speaking out. And we get the word amazed. Dumbfounded. Overwhelmed. Stunned. In grip of absolute awe and wonder. What words can I use for this amazed? Are you amazed today? Are you just going through the motions because this is Sunday and it's Easter Sunday, it's Resurrection Day, or are you amazed at this story that we're getting right here that Mark wrote, the other Gospels? They were so amazed, they were terrified, they were awestruck in a terrified way. A panic is on them. The word phobos uh, is in this word. Phobia. A fear. They're terrified. They're white-knuckled. They're pale-faced. Terrified. The angel speaks. Says, don't be amazed. <laughs> that kind of amazed. He is risen. What is more glorious, folks? What is more glorious to hear and know about that He is risen? The amazement of victory over death. This is not an NDE. A near-death experience. This is the real thing. This is a real resurrection from the dead. And you know what? He was raised by the Father. Because in Romans chapter 4, sorry, uh, I mean chapter 1, verse 4. Who was declared the Son of God with power. Probably the word dunamis, which is dynamite. That was dynamite power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, that's what God the Father did. He declared the Son of God comes bursting forth out of of the dead. And by the way, this is literally passive. Passive tense here for uh, the Lord Jesus. He has been raised. Something brought him out. It's a father. He's raised with a father. He is not here. Behold, here's the place where they laid him. He's not here. And now you've added to the testimony of an empty tomb, the testimony of heavenly, holy angels that are real, that were there, that were seen. The Roman guard must have seen them. And now you see the believers coming and they see this. The only plausible explanation for an empty tomb is He has been raised. The testimony of heaven, right? Now we go to point number three. You have Peter and John and the disciples. We don't see it in the book of Mark. Go tell the disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. And I always had 
trouble with this. Okay, Galilee, wait a minute. They see Him before they ever go to Galilee. It's like, it's like weeks later before they go to Galilee. What's the deal? He's already told them that He's going to go to Galilee. You know that? He's told them, uh, I, I think, uh, earlier in Mark chapter 14, <coughs> Verse 28. I'm the right verse there. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Well, if they're not going to get the resurrection, they're not going to get the thing about going to Galilee. Where should they have gone? They should go to Galilee. Do you know what they do? They hang in Jerusalem. And they're around for another week when Thomas is in the room. He missed it the first time whenever Jesus appeared to them. I find that fascinating. You remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus that same day? And then that very same night in the upper room, and you have the disciples there minus Thomas and, of course, Judas, dead. Um, Another week. They're supposed to go to Galilee. He's told them that before. And they keep getting the message here. I don't know why they delayed so long. Do you? Do we sometimes delay when we know that we've been told to do certain things? Right? They eventually got to Galilee. And He showed up at Galilee as well. He shows up everywhere. A wonderful account of that is in Matthew 28. It's a long account. And of course in John's Gospel we get that. In John 21 where Jesus actually comes up to Peter and you know they've been fishing and Jesus is there preparing the meal and then he talks to Peter, you know, and recommissions him. All of that happened up in Galilee. The 500 witnesses were up in Galilee. Not much happens in Jerusalem. Emmaus disciples and such in that week or so. They need to go there and that's where they do. They wind up there. So the women same Mary Magdalene and Peter and John, the rest of the disciples, you know, they see that that empty tomb and my uh, Matthew 28:8, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. I love this. Behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. Good morning, ladies. <laughs> Something like that, maybe peace to you, <laughs> grace to you. <laughs> you're running along and you, you what you've just seen Jesus you've seen this resurrected I mean can you process this in your mind I mean things are just spinning and they saw Christ alive it finally comes to their attention wow wow Go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. They went out, fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, just overwhelmed by it. And of course, we know that they you have them worshiping Jesus at, the, at his at his feet. Can you imagine what's going through there? The shock, the awe. The reverence. The whole point is is that we can be justified. Romans 5 talks about that actually in Romans 4.25 
we get just a touch of doctrine and, and we're going to close. We're right at the end here, folks. By the way, that verse we just read, I'll leave you hanging till next week. That's really where Mark left it hanging. And you'll say, what? That's where it's left hanging. We'll get to that. Please come next week. We'll get to the rest of the story. This is the application for us. Romans 4.25 He who was delivered over because of our transgressions. It's the Gospel. And was raised. There's the resurrection, folks, right in Romans 4. He was raised because of our justification. When He rose, that's where the justification comes into play. It starts at the cross. Then you have this. And therefore, having been justified by faith, we are declared righteous. Look at this. We have peace with God. You sit here this morning, do you have peace? If you're a Christian, yes you do. With our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in this grace. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. Are you seeing big words here? Are you exulting today? Do you have that great hope that you know that's for real about the glory of God? Is that where you're focused at today? And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And in the next section, and this should help us, lead us in to our thought of the Lord's Supper as we take it. Um, happened to be fellowshipping with Dennis Peterson in their church last Sunday, Millersburg Baptist, and they were taking the Lord's Supper. And um, they, uh, they have a special time when they do that too. And uh, I said, this is, this is great. You know, get to take it in with some other believers and, and knowing that they're right on. You know, they believe this Bible. They believe like we do. And there are many other people like that. When you're doing it, you're doing the whole body of Christ. But it says this, and this, this is the text that, that he took. And I thought, wow, this is great for Lord's Supper. For while we were still helpless, when we were helpless, and then uh, says at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He did that while we were ungodly, while we were helpless. And because of time, I'm going to scoot right on. At the end of verse 8, it says, while we were yet sinners. This is not taking in the fact, hey, I was pretty good though. You know, there's, there's something that I did you know, to get my justification. And he says, no, you were helpless. You were ungodly. And circle it in verse 8, it says, we were sinners. And then... In verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were enemy sinners who were godless and absolutely helpless folks, it was all God's work when He did it on the cross. (coughs) 
Verse 11, And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I close with this. Are you in awe? Are you in reverence? Are you in love? Do you have an amazement for Jesus Christ and this whole thing that He did for us? It's about the most... I mean, it's telling about the most significant event ever. I'm telling you, sometimes you say, I wonder what the biggest thing that's ever happened in the world. You know, people want to have the top ten. Here's the top ten greatest movies. Here's the top ten greatest songs. Here's the top ten... You know, on and on and on and on and on. Who cares? What is the most significant event that has ever happened in the history of this world? Jesus Christ rising from the dead. Look in the book of Acts. One message after another and they're pointing to the resurrection. We saw Him die and we saw Him... We saw Him after He rose from the dead. We saw Him. He was with us. Wouldn't that make an impact? Here it is right here. The truth and all the things that that means to us today. This should be a weight on us. A great weight on us to announce we should be running out of here today with awe and wonder because we know this Word is true. With awe and wonder is we have just seen a glimpse of the empty tomb ourselves as we focused on the Word of God. I invite you to behold this greatest wonder ever accomplished by God. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the resurrection coming out of the dead. For there is no other greater miracle than that. Absolutely supernatural. What an event. May it make an impact on us that we can't forget it from day to day to day to day and as we continue to tell each other and others. Give us the strength to do that. In Jesus' name, Amen.